welcome to the Defenders podcast. I'm Claire and you might be surprised to hear from me again a second time this week for a second episode. Um, but that's because we're doing a bonus episode and my fellow Defenders are not here, unfortunately. It's just me. But luckily, I have an awesome guest with me, which is one of the writers of this week's episode, Speak of the Devil. Um, it's Christos Gage. Welcome, Christos. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on, particularly after the the issues we have had with Skype in the lead up to this. I just hope it it kind of hangs in there. Oh, that's fine. Uh, Technical difficulties happen. Uh, When we use technology too much, this is what happens, unfortunately. Yes. So I wanted to just quickly mention some of the other things that you've written because you've worked on a lot of stuff. Um, Obviously, you... you, um, wrote this week's episode of Daredevil with um, your partner, Ruth, um, who unfortunately is not feeling very well, so I hope she does feel better soon. Um, But you've also worked on Numbers, Law and Order, SVU, Teenage Caveman, The Brood, which I believe were both television movies, and um, a couple of games as well, which I particularly, I really want to play Captain America Super Soldier because I'm a big Captain America fan, uh, which I believe you wrote as well, so I would love to play that. And you've also done a lot of work in comics with Angel and Faith, uh, Avengers Academy, Amazing Spider-Man, and the latest Superior Spider-Man with, I believe that's Dan Slott? Uh, yes, I think I'm having some audio issues yet again, unfortunately. Oh, no. um, but I, I did uh, I did write, uh, I mean, I've written a bunch of comic books, Ruth, and I've written for Law & Order SVU, Numbers, and mm-hmm. uh, I've written some video games, including the Captain America one that I think you mentioned. Okay. I, yeah, I definitely want to play that one because I'm, I'm a big Captain America fan. Um, and my co-host, Robin, who you spoke to earlier, actually is part of a, another podcast called Redemption Cast, which is an Angel um, and Buffy podcast. And so I know that he's spoken with some of their listeners about your work in, in those comics, and I think they had some questions as well. So I think one of the first things okay. I I, um, I wanted to ask you was how did you and Ruth get involved with the show? Because I know you've worked with, um, you sort of worked obviously with uh, the sort of Joss Whedon crew, uh, such as Drew Goddard before. Was that how you got involved with Daredevil? Um, was what how we got involved? I can tell you how we got involved. I didn't yeah, hear the sure. first part of the question. Um, so uh, Ruth and I had... Um, had an interview with Drew Goddard, who was the showrunner, uh, and um, also one of the executives at Marvel, Megan Bradner, uh, mm-hmm. who's really terrific, um, had seen our stuff before and, and uh, liked it, and so I think she recommended us, and then we uh, got recommendations from people that we had worked with before, uh, like Drew um, worked with Brian K. Vaughn on Lost, Brian K. Vaughn being a, a very famous comic book writer, and so Drew called him up. He was working on a show called Under the Dome at the time, and Drew called him up and said, do you know him? And he said, well, no. Do you, um, do you know Chris and Ruth? And he said, no. But my co-showrunner, Neil Bear, was their showrunner on Law and Order SBU, and they mm-hmm. wrote Dick Wolf's favorite episode of SBU. So Drew was like, oh, okay. Must, can't be totally horrible. So they pretty much did it. And we, we just really we really hit it off. Um, it's funny because I thought that we probably hit it off over comic books, which, which we did. But at the same time, uh, uh, Drew was really uh, impressed with the fact that my father had, had been a reporter for the New York Times uh, mm-hmm. in the early 70s covering the, the mafia, uh, which he thought would be really valuable for the show. 
Um, and also, uh, Ruth worked, one of the very first things she ever worked on was the movie Last of the Mohicans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she worked with Michael Mann on that. She was working for the state of North Carolina and she was the liaison with the movie. So she worked really closely with Michael Mann and that's one of Drew's favorite movies. So, oh, wow. um, you know, we just had a lot in common, hit it off really well. And I think we had the, the, the meeting on like a, a Thursday or something. And then like by the next Thursday, we were, we were coming into work. So it was all very fast. Okay, I I heard you actually on um, EJ Scott's podcast, Scratch the Surface, and the the history of, like with your father is fascinating. Um, you know, with uh, sort of what he achieved is amazing. We we probably won't have too much time to go into that here, but I would really recommend other people to listen to that episode of the podcast because um, your family history is really interesting. Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff on both sides of our families and EJ's great guy. Uh mm-hmm. for people who don't know, he's uh he's Deborah Wall's boyfriend and mm-hmm. uh um uh we had a good time on there so definitely check that out. One of the things obviously you and Ruth were involved with um all the other writers on this show and I believe you were involved early on when um when Drew was obviously still running the show. Right. One one of the things I kind of wondered was how is it decided who will sort of focus on which episode? Because obviously some are more action oriented than some others. Some are more dialogue heavy, um, you know, with uh, interactions between um, certain characters. So how was it decided that you and Ruth, for instance, would do this particular episode, episode nine? You know, I think in some ways it was the luck of the draw. Um, I know that uh, Drew had already written the pilot when everyone came on board. Mm-hmm. So that's episode one. And he knew he was going to write episode two. Um, and then uh, he, um, Marco Ramirez, uh, was a friend of ours, was assigned episode, uh, and he had written for Orange of the New Black and, and mm-hmm. Sons of Anarchy. He was assigned episode three. And then I think from then on, and then, um, or wait, did Joe? Yeah, and then Joe Picassi was writing episode four. Uh, and then... Um, that was around the time that it was a little bit of luck of the draw and whoever was, you know, available or whatever mm-hmm. schedule worked scheduling wise. Um, except that I know Stephen really wanted to do the Wilson Fifth episode, which was eight, the Wilson Fifth origin yeah. episode. Um, so, uh, you know, he really wanted to do that one and he wanted to also write and direct the finale. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I have a feeling that uh, I mean you, you could ask you, you have to ask Stephen what what exactly went through his thought processes. But um, you know I think it was a little bit of luck of the draw. But having said that, it worked out nicely because uh, Ruth you know really studied um, theology in mm-hmm. school, and so the idea that this would be a big episode with Father Lantham was very uh, important to her, and, and she came up with some great stuff there. And um, she actually also came up with some great action stuff, uh, like with Matt Gay being hooked and dragged by the thing, but also oh, the action, <laughs> the, the ninja fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the ninja fight was, was something I, I was very excited about. And I got the, um, and things did change along the way, but uh, one thing that was always going to happen was a ninja fight in nine. And originally it was going to be Daredevil fighting Karigi, who is a mm-hmm. famous unstoppable ninja from the comics. Although interestingly, in the Frank Miller run, he did not fight Daredevil. He fought Elektra a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's neither here nor there. But <laughs> originally Nobu was going to be the, uh, was going to bring in this character Karigi, and then we realized that that was something that people who read the comics would find cool, but for the viewer who was not familiar with the comics, it would be. Um, it may be confusing because all of a sudden you're introducing this brand new character 
and you don't really know who he is, and he's going to get burned up in the same episode. Uh, so instead, uh, it was decided to just have Nobu be the ninja. Um, and uh, Peter Shikoda, who's become a, a friend of ours who played <laughs> Nobu, did a great job with that, as, of course, did the um, the uh, stunt people. Um, we had the, the, the amazing fight coordinator, uh, Phil Silvera, who is currently doing the fight coordination on, on the Deadpool movie. Yeah, so Phil, of course, is great, and, uh, and Chris Brewster, who was Charlie's stunt double, um, and their whole team did amazing work, and, and they, uh, you know, as I was saying, when, when Ruth and I were writing this script, we were like, well, let's just put in whatever we want, think would be cool, and mm-hmm. we'll let them tell us what they can and can't do. And they, they didn't, they didn't say anything about that. They just took, took it as a challenge and let's make this happen, you know, even though it, it's not, like in a movie, they'd have like two months to plan off that a fight like that, and instead mm-hmm. they had a week, so, uh, but they made it happen and it just worked beautifully, so we were very excited about that. The, the stunt work in the entire se- series by them is incredible. It's, I think, the best I've seen on, on television. Really, really impressive. Um, and I I bet Peter Shinkoda was thrilled that you decided to make him the one in that fight, his character, rather than uh, Kariji. Oh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, so I wanted to ask you as well, because obviously you're a big fan of comics, Um so were you knowledgeable about Daredevil before getting involved with the show? Was that a character that you read the comics for or knew that much about? Uh, yes, I, I knew a lot about Daredevil. I've been reading comics since I was a little kid in the mid-70s, uh, and I was reading Daredevil when Frank Miller started doing it in, <laughs> I can't remember what it was, 77, 78, 79, yeah. somewhere along there. So I was reading uh, the Daredevil comic when he was doing, doing all that amazing stuff. Um, and I, of course, I was reading it when they did Born Again and all of that. So I was very knowledgeable about Daredevil as main character. And I think was a positive thing because Ruth was not. She had not read any of the comics. Uh, so we sort of what we brought to the table was a, um, you know, on one hand, someone who was very immersed in the comics. And uh, on the other hand, someone who, who was not and was looking at it from the point of view of you know, what a lot of our viewers would be, which is someone who is just looking at this as a show. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I think that that was a valuable um, perspective to have. That's one of the things I like about the format of our podcast as well is I'm a huge Daredevil fan. I have issue number one on my wall. I've been reading it for years. And then we have my co-hosts, one of which doesn't know anything about the character, so he's watching this without knowing any of the backstory. So it's quite a nice mix. Um, it must have made it really interesting for you and Ruth to write for with Ruth's perspective on it, you know, being not knowing that much about the character as well. Um, well, I, I know that Ruth, you know, for Ruth, I mean, she's she's been a big fan. Like, we, she loves Firefly and she likes, mm-hmm. she likes shows like that. But, um, you know, for her, what she was most attracted to is some of the the characters in her struggles and, and contradictions. And she especially liked the fact that, uh, I mean, one of the things that both um, – Drew and Stephen uh, felt was important was to have Max Catholicism be a big part of his story as it as it is in the comics. But in the comic, even in the comics, it only became became so uh, in Frank Miller's second run uh, in the mid '80s during Born Again. Um, but we all felt that that's one of the things that makes him interesting. Uh, it's that this is one of the few major uh, company on comic book characters who actually has a, a defined religion because. You know, usually, and it makes good business sense, but in the 60s, when most of these characters were being introduced, you didn't, you know, characters were not introduced with religious affiliations or political affiliations. Yeah, because It would be, you know, why alienate a portion of your audience? Uh, so, but we thought that that was an interesting thing about Matt. And 
it's something we definitely wanted to, to explore. Yeah, the only other characters I can think of are with sort of a, a definite religion are Nightcrawler and uh, the new Ms. Marvel, um, Kamala Khan. I'm just getting vague things. If you can, if you can like, Facebook message me the question, that might be able to Okay, I will do that. <laughs> no problem. It's hanging in there audio-wise at my end. I don't know why it's playing up. And, of course, now I can hear you perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> of course, because Skype, Skype is evil. <laughs> Skype just loves playing up. There you go. Okay. Did we find out the episode in terms of okay. one of you writing for a specific character? No. It, 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 the way Ruth and I write is sort of interesting because usually what happens is we'll we'll talk about the story. I mean, the way the way all the episodes were written is in the room, all the writers together would do uh, an outline, would, would, would break, it's called breaking the story, and you're in the room, and mm-hmm. you essentially come up with a one-liner for each scene. So, you know, here's the teaser, here's what happens opening the episode, and then the Daredevil titles, and then here's the next scene, and the next scene, and the next scene, and you work all that, as, you work all that out as a group. So everybody contributed to everybody else's episodes in that respect, uh, which is great because mm-hmm. everybody, you know, you, you sort of bring everyone's talents together. Um, so once you've got the, the beats beaded it out and, and Stephen uh, has approved it, then the writer or writers in our case of the episode would go off and write an outline. And the outline was still just uh, uh, each beat, but probably about a paragraph for each beat saying what happens in that with a little more detail and maybe one or two lines of dialogue Um and then once that's a, that's approved, that will be looked at by, you know, Stephen, uh, the network, uh, the you know, Marvel, and they'll give some notes. Uh, and one of the things in this episode is that we were, Ruth had the idea of approaching the fight. Instead of having just one huge fight at the end, she, she was inspired by the episode of Firefly called Out of Gas, where you sort of open with uh, uh, Nathan you know, falling to the floor mm-hmm. and he's bleeding. And he's obviously been badly hurt, and you don't quite know what's going on. And then you find out as you flash back what happened and what led up to that moment. So she wanted to structure it like that. Um, and uh, so we suggested that. And, and uh, one of the executives at Netflix, Chris Henneman, who's a, who's a terrific executive um, and, a, and a friend of ours, but um, he, he was a little concerned about that. And he thought maybe it should, we should not, it would be confusing and we should put it all at the end. Uh, and I, I, I see his point because it could have had the potential to be, be confusing, but Ruth felt very strongly uh, that, you know, this was how it would work the best. And so mm-hmm. uh, we, you know, they were like, okay, go for it like that. So we wrote the script, and it, it worked for everybody. And, you know, Stephen would uh, do a polish, not on Drew's first two, but he, he did a polish on, on every script. So he would, um, you know, being the showrunner, that's a very common thing with showrunners. They, they will usually do a pass on each script so that it has a consistency of voice, and they'll change things, and uh, sometimes they know uh, like the character Francis, who Tommy Walker again has become a friend of ours, uh, yeah. and he's such a great guy and so excited about about the show. Uh, but he asked us at the premiere, so you know, what were you thinking when you you created Francis? And we had to tell him, you know, Tommy. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't create Francis. Stephen <laughs> uh, did during his past, and I think the main reason for Francis coming into play is because we had. Uh, uh, killed everybody else who Wilson Fisk had to talk to up to that point. <laughs> we were starting; he was starting to run out of people to talk to, um, so they they wanted to bring in someone else. Uh, but um, so we wrote the script, and uh, you know Stephen did his pass, and then there were I think there were a few notes 
not that many notes, but there were a few notes from Marvel and Netflix, and then uh, that's that's how it worked. And then we went to New York when they shot it, and uh, we were on set for for that. Mm. I I heard that you were on set for it, which is um, I think is is really yeah. cool that you were there. You know, actually seeing it get oh, yeah, shot, it um, because I imagine that doesn't happen on you know most projects that you do. Is that right? Well, it depends. I mean, uh, uh, there's usually someone. There's always someone on set. I think it depends uh, on the show. Like for example, on Law and Order, uh, the Law and Order shows actually like Daredevil are written in L.A. and shot in New York and. There are people mm-hmm. on set. There's a guy named Ted Kotcheff, a veteran director who sort of was keeping an eye on things and making sure that it was consistent from show to show and everything got done. So it was less important there. But on our show, it was important uh, that there be a writer on set at all times, and usually it was the writer of that episode. Not always. Like for episode 11, I came back and covered set for that because the writers of that episode were uh, Doug Petrie and Stephen Denight, who also wrote episode mm-hmm. 12 and 13, uh, separately, so each of them was going to be going right back to New York. So I, I, I went in to cover set for that one uh, just to make it more manageable. Um, that was the one where the the uh, uh, you're going to see that one later. I mean, you've already seen it, but there's a fun scene. It's not re- it's not really a spoiler, but a, a swan swims up and looks straight at the camera when Ben and Karen are having it, and that cracks me up because. Uh, we were trying so hard to. There were actually a ton of swans and ducks and other waterfowl, and th- there was a, a, a PA off to the side throwing them bread and trying to keep them out of the camera. But with that one swan, <laughs> just had to get in there and, and inject himself. He he wanted to be famous, so and he is. I think that swan has its own fan following now online because so many people have been talking about that he, swan. I think it's he great. does, and someone came up with a great thing uh, where. They have the shot, and then they move in on the swan, like with three different uh, uh, closer, 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 and then at the bottom, the caption says, I heard you were talking shit about Fisk. And uh, that that just cracked us <laughs> up to no end. Um, Fisk has eyes everywhere, it, even among Exactly. Well, so here we have, uh, about to enter the scene, is uh, the brilliant, lovely, and talented Ruth Fletcher Gage who's getting ready to come on, oh. uh, and I have to warn her, honey, uh, we've been having some audio issues. They can hear us fine, but sometimes we can't hear her. Okay. Um, and when that happens, she sends us the message via Facebook. Okay. The question via Facebook message. She's gonna hop, Ruth is going to hop on. Oh, brilliant. And the, the cat is wailing, of course. <laughs> oh. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Ruth. Hi. It's nice to talk to you. I hope you're feeling oh, better. Thank you. I um. I have had a week's worth of medical tests and and doing all kinds of different stuff that I have to do, and I've just been exhausted by the whole process. <laughs> so I'm sorry about being a bit late. No, no problem at all. I'm just, uh, you know, thank you for coming on. And we, we had a few audio issues at the start anyway, so you're not really... <laughs> okay, well, I told Chris, uh, I said, usually <laughs> it takes a little bit of time to, you know, to get everything set up, so... um I was hoping that I wasn't going to be too late. <laughs> Thank you so much, Colin. And uh, yeah, uh, congratulations on the show. Obviously, I mean to both of you, but it's such a good show. And um, uh, my co-host Robin was on earlier, who is uh, has only seen up to your episode. Okay. Um, and whereas I've seen the entire series, I've actually I'm on my sixth watch. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, because I'm the the expert, so called. But um, it just is is fantastic, and I'm a 
big Daredevil fan. I have, I just told Crystal, I have issue number one uh, on my wall by Stanley. I have a Daredevil tattoo. Wow. I'm, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I could be a very big critic, but I think it's, fantastic i think all of you did oh uh, well job. thank you so much i it, it, it has been <laughs> so because we were so isolated for 11 months um we you know they were very secretive about this and um and so we it was really just us in a room for <laughs> for quite a long time and uh and, and then of course i mean once we were shooting of course we were getting some feedback and some stuff from from the people we were working with, but it's always um, difficult when you're a writer because you're not sure, you know, you think, oh, okay, I think this is good and I think someone or people will respond to this, but you're not entirely sure. <laughs> so it's been so great, you know, to have people um, respond and really love it, and especially people who are fans, um, to feel, you know, to feel like they, uh, we, we did an okay job with the character. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, all of um, uh, one of my guests on the episode earlier where we discussed your episode um, is from manwithoutfear.com, which is a huge Daredevil podcast uh, online. Um, he's the, the creator of that website, um, Koji, and he also mentioned he loves the show. And again, he's a massive Daredevil fan. You guys did a great job. Yeah, I, 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 whenever people so, say that, I always say, well, it's just the relief because I can. I can't imagine how terrible it would be to work on that hard that long on something and then have it all be released at once and people hate it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just such a... Because you can't even then say it's going to, you know, wait a few episodes, you can't even do that because it's all there. Right, right, yeah. I mean, it's it's really interesting because this is also a relatively new formula for television, too. So, you know, and Netflix really is the pioneer for that. And, and of course, the shows they did, in the beginning were quite different from Daredevil. So, um, again, we were, we sort of felt like we were, um, we were new to the territory, so we were glad that it worked out. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, one of the scenes I wanted to ask you about is possibly my favorite scene in the episode, and I know it's very popular. Uh, I'll put the question in Facebook as well so you can see it, um, which is the scene in the in the gallery, the interaction at first between Vanessa and Matt, and then Matt meets Wilson Fisk for the first time, which is a huge moment for fans. Can you tell us a little bit about writing that scene? Because I love the interaction between Vanessa and Matt. There's this kind of flirtation going on. I um I I really love the interplay. I only wished it could be longer. Well, the, the interesting um, thing about can you tell us anything yeah, about the that? Interesting, well, first of all, it was a long day of shooting to shoot that scene. It was an, an entire day. We we did not change locations, um, uh, but it was a, a a great scene because you have some characters who don't normally interact coming together mm-hmm. for the first time, and uh, uh, you know that was something we all were excited to do. We wanted to try to make it somewhat believable that it would happen, and we were a little worried that, oh, maybe people think it's too coincidental that Wilson Fisk shows up right at that moment, but then we decided that people will like that he showed up, so they won't ask too many questions about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, we, we also felt like it was just a good opportunity to get great actors, uh, you know, with, with Charlie and Vincent and Ayala in the same place, and they're all sort of sort of hiding something, uh, Vanessa less so, mm-hmm. but they've all got something going on under the surface, but also they have a lot in common. Um, so we, we just had a really good time uh, writing it, and, and we were it was great to, to see it performed. And let me just say one more thing, uh, which is that 
on that day, um, a couple of uh, legendary Daredevil artists came to the set. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill Sienkiewicz, uh, who, who drew Daredevil Love and War and Electra Assassin, and David Mack, who drew some of the Bendis run and, and wrote some of them. Uh, and uh, they, they just had a terrific time, and they were such such big fans of, of Vincent and Charlie, and the feeling was mutual. Uh, so that was it, the, the in, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The atmosphere that day was very yeah, exciting. Yeah, and the, the interesting oh, thing yeah. leading up to that scene, um, in like when we were breaking it in the writers' room, and we and then when we were writing it, and then of course Stephen came back in, and uh, so how it works on a show is you break down. Uh, the sh- the show the scenes the show in a in a room with a bunch of other writers and then you, because you have everything has to match everything has to go together so you notice when you get to our episode there are a lot of things happening a lot of things are, are coming mm-hmm. to fruition and a lot of things are are being set up for what will then happen next um, and so that's all done in a writer's room and then. At, we, so we did a treatment, and uh, and it's funny because it, it was such a complicated episode. I already called it the Adagasting. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it, it, it's such a complicated episode that some of our executives were not entirely sure <laughs> that this episode was going to work. Um, and, and so, um, so, so by the time we got to that scene um it was it was just very interesting in the in the writing process and and then once we were shooting it you know we we all knew that it was going to be there and needed to be there but we weren't entirely sure that it was going to work <laughs> and mm-hmm. what was so amazing about it you know because, just because of everything that sort of was riding on it um, we sort of knew that um we 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 got there and some of the actors were like, hmm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how to do this. I'm not sure how to do that. I'm not sure. You know, there, there were just a lot of questions. And Vincent D'Onofrio just kind of stepped up and said, okay, um, let's have a conversation about this. And we talked about it. We talked with Stephen about it. And it was remarkable. He just turned it. He, I don't want to say he turned into Wilson Fisk, but he just turned into this unbelievable, like, leader in the scene and sort of made everybody feel comfortable with where they were supposed to be. And it was like, oh, so that's an actor. <laughs> you know, that's somebody who can, everybody can have questions coming from different perspectives, including, you know, all of us who had developed and written the scene um, because it's just impossible to know, you know, sort of how these things play out and then to watch sort of one person. Um, well, and it was also very interesting, I thought, and here comes the police. Sorry, I, I was like, this is usually the quietest place in the world. I, I, I shouldn't have grown that marijuana plant on the back. I, I probably should have kept it inside. Um, it was that Swan, that Swan reported. Uh, 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 but, but what's interesting, too, is you don't know how, like, um, things are going to play, especially when actors haven't been in the same scene yes. together, which Matt and, and, and Vanessa had not. But I think uh, Yellow must have felt that um, they had a good chemistry just from talking uh, uh, behind the scenes because she actually emailed Stephen and suggested extending the, the, the part between Matt and Vanessa a little bit, uh, which is when they're talking about the red painting. Um, uh, so, um, and and just the, the chemistry I thought was the biggest and most pleasant surprise between for me between Matt and Vanessa because you know we hadn't seen them interact uh, up to that point. So that that came out really nicely too. 
but what was a lot of fun for us is when when the shows when the show was released on Netflix all at once, we were sort of following along on social media to to um, when people would watch it and they would like live mm-hmm. tweet their reactions to it. It was it was everyone had the same reaction. They were like, "Oh my God, it's Fisk!" <laughs> you know, I think I think it surprised people that the first time that Daredevil and Kingpin meet is when they are in there that when Matt is Matt Murdock, not Daredevil. And I think that, mm-hmm. you know, so we were we were pleased by that reaction instead of people going, oh, come on, he walks in at that exact moment. <laughs> yeah. well, you actually have two moments in this episode we spoke uh, when we recorded earlier where pe- where our newbies were like, oh, it's Fisk, which is the gallery scene, but also at the end when um, Matt beats Nobu and then you think, oh, he's being Nobu, awesome, he's going to go home and call right. her and get patched up. And then he, he enters and everyone's like, I insisted on that. That was the whole out of gas uh, structure for, because for mm-hmm. me, I felt like at this point in Daredevil, we knew so much about how these characters fight, who they are, what they do. And I just felt like our audience was going to be pretty smart. And I wanted them to have something that was like, oh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you make people think what right. that structure did so well that, that uh, Ruth hit on is that you, you act, you're seeing snatches of this fight throughout the episode, so you, you're being sort of almost mm-hmm. trained to think this is what the episode's about and this is the big fight the episode's leading up to. So when it ends and Matt has won and then Fifth comes in, hopefully it's a, it's a surprise, which it sounds like a lot of people did react to it that way. And it's like, oh, no, that wasn't big finish. This is the big finish. And then actually, even mm-hmm. again, the big finish is... Foggy pulling yeah. off his mask, and, yeah. and you know, and I, I have to give it to Elden because um, you know, for a long period of the show, it had Foggy had been kind of the funny character, the comic relief, the you know, funny uh, mm-hmm. uh, friend character, and and he really brought it uh, emotionally in that scene, uh, and in the rest mm-hmm. of the episode, like when he's crying about Mrs. Cardenas, I, I just thought he did a great job. He's fantastic, and it's. It's funny because, as I said, I've been a Daredevil fan for a long time, but years and years ago, you know, we're talking 15 years ago, my fan pick, if they ever made a Daredevil TV series to play Foggy, was Elgin. So when he was announced, I was thrilled. And my fan pick to play Kingpin was Vincent D'Onofrio. So I started to wonder if Marvel was secretly, like, tapping my phone or something. That is awesome. He also was just the nicest person like mm-hmm. they would do they were doing all these interviews and of course we were on the set and they're doing like photos, photos for, for promotional stuff. stuff and he kept coming over to us who of course I was wearing no makeup I look Chris and I looked like you know we were we had just crawled out of you know, like the yeah I mean seriously you know you're writers on set and you've been there for you don't have a makeup trailer whatever he'd be like let's get the writers and get a picture I'd be like no let's not Elvin <laughs> <laughs> you've got you've got costume and makeup on. We you know we look like we we just pulled an all nighter at a beer joint. You know what? <laughs> well, I'll just throw in the roof looks stunningly beautiful. Oh yeah, thank you. <laughs> With no makeup on. <laughs> 
I've been podcasting for four hours now, five hours now, so I'm, yeah, I'm just kind of in a t-shirt and jeans. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah. Think, you know, <laughs> because you're, I mean, you're, when you're going, when you're sitting on set and, uh, and it's your responsibility, you know, every word in that script and mm-hmm. everything, I mean, you, you're not thinking about, you know, what, what, uh, what, you're not thinking about yourself at all, really. You're just, you're just thinking we got to get through this, and it's got to work. You know, this scene's got to work. So, but he was so <laughs> sweet. He was being totally generous, and he was saying, "Oh no, they're the this. This is such a wonderful episode. And let, come meet the people who wrote it." I was like, "No, let's not." <laughs> so, I actually had a question about, we mentioned a minute ago about the painting in the gallery scene. And this is, I don't know if you guys have, have seen this, the sort of fan theory about the paintings online, because obviously in episode three, uh, Fisk buys the painting from Vanessa, mm-hmm. um, the rabbit in a snowstorm, which is very wide and very white, which is traditionally how the kingpin appears in the comics in his white suit right. and he's this very wide character. Whereas the painting that Vanessa shows Matt is very tall and very red, which is traditionally how Daredevil appears in the comic. I wondered if that was an intentional thing when you wrote the description of the painting no, the, the, into the, the script. The rabbit in a snowstorm, originally that scene at the end of episode three was at the end of episode one. Drew wrote that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, But it but it was where Fisk met Vanessa. Yes. And I, I, we don't know for 100% sure, but we do believe that the, the you know Kingpin looking at a white painting um, mm-hmm. was not a coincidence. Uh, and then, so I think that uh, when, and I, it was actually Stephen who wrote the bit, the snippet of the scene with the red painting and, and uh, uh, Vanessa and Matt talking, and I think that the red painting was him picking up on that and saying we had Kingpin looking at a white painting and uh, let's have Matt looking at a red painting, uh, you know, obviously the Daredevil of it, but, be, you know, don't want to put words in either of their mouths. Uh, mm-hmm. But we suspect It's a very that cool is, detail. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, mm. But, I mean, I definitely think that it began as that. I, yeah. I think, yeah, yeah. So I think, so I think that that's what Stephen picked up on. So I think, I think that that's, yeah, um, because that was in the beginning. That was um, where Drew was going with that. So. Okay. Um, we obviously can't talk about this episode without talking about the fight scenes, which are, as we mentioned earlier, are just incredible. Um, it's. How how much input did That's you have as writers? Oh, oh sorry? We're having the audio thing again. Okay, I'm going to put it in Facebook for you. Okay. Okay. It was going so well for a while. Ago. Now I can. Now it's fine. But it, that's so it wild. Like, it sounds like explosions in the old Atari from the eighties. It does. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow. It sounds like we're. It sounds like we're inside the Atari. <laughs> <laughs>
a great deal of that. Uh, is that your recollection? Yes. Well, the funny thing is, is that um, it kind of it kind of was a joke on the set because when we had initially written the scene, um, the stuff that happens when he throws the chain and mm-hmm. he misses Matt and Matt twists and then he pulls it and yanks him and hooks him like a fish and then drags him. Yeah. That initially wasn't in there, so that was me. And and, and <laughs> I read Chris had written part of it, and I was like, and I had said to him, this is what I want to happen, and he just kind of ignores Sometimes he just ignores me. When, Sometimes I don't quite understand. <laughs> he yeah, he didn't quite understand what I was saying. Um, and so we were sitting in our, we had this tiny little uh, sort of like den that we write in together, and we were sitting in here, and I stood up and said, that's not what I said to you. And this is what I want to happen. And I enacted it in front of him for about five minutes. And I was like, and then he twists and then he, you know, and then Nobu throws the chain. And so I'm going through the whole thing. And and I said, and then it hooks him in the back. <laughs> and he falls to the floor and he drags him across the floor. And you see a trail of blood. And Chris goes, oh, okay. And so Chris, then Chris goes in and tells everybody on the set. That this was my that this was my idea, and so then everybody was terrified of me because they were like, "This is the most violent thing I've ever seen on the show." And like the one woman, <laughs> but the hilarious part was they were like, "Do you are you guys like this all the time with your writing fight stuff?" and we have a graphic novel that's coming out which has a lot of fighting in it in in the in the um in August and I actually wrote a lot of the fight stuff and so they were they were kind of amazed because you know they they're like yeah we don't usually um you know, we usually have the. It's not usually the women who are the or people who are like, no, this is how I want this to go. But I, I think of things, I guess, in a very visual way, and I also mm-hmm. felt very strongly that again, um, we had sort of seen Matt, and everything happened to Matt that possibly could. Sorry, I'm trying to turn it off. What did you do? The Facebook thing never came through, so I was just trying to make sure there wasn't something wrong with Facebook. Oh, no, there's nothing wrong with Facebook. And I inadvertently made a video start playing that had the song My Hubs in it. Good Lord. This is the the problem with writers is we are completely technologically inept. I don't know if you sent that. I mean, we heard you, but I don't know if you sent that message, but it didn't come through. uh, Oh, okay. um, But but anyway, and so, so anyway, I can't remember where I was, but everybody everybody was fairly surprised at at me being the most aggressive person. And and they were asking, they would ask Chris stories about me and, and he was like, well, there was this one time when, what was the story you told them? And then they were really completely terrified of me about, oh, about the, he, he, did, he came in one day and he said, there's this terrible article online about this guy who beat his wife and 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 then she tried to kill him and it was just this big mess and, and she stabbed him several times. And anyway, I don't think she actually succeeded in killing him and I mm-hmm. I so anyway so he No, I, I remember what I said. I was like, um I said something like, you know, I hope you'll never do anything like that and she was like, Oh, I'd never do that while you were awake. I said I never tried to I never kill you while you were awake <laughs> And he was like, Wait a minute and I said, hang on a second, no, I'm not gonna be able to sleep with you anymore. Like <laughs> what does that mean? And I was, and of course,
professors <laughs> thinking that I was actually saying I was going to kill him. I was. <laughs> I long ago accepted that if she wants me dead, I'm done. She'll say, "I read an article and you need to start taking this supplement." And I'm like, "Okay." So I start taking it. It could be arsenic. I don't know. Uh, you know it, uh, it could be anything. <laughs> so anyway, but so but by the time we we were you know like on day four of the set, I think the people on the set thought that I was like a lunatic. So they were like, "Okay, this woman is." Really violent. <laughs> well, it came, it made for an awesome fight scene. So, yes, you know, yes. worth it in the end. No, and that fight scene was epic. So um, initially, it, it sort of became this. Um, I mean, there were there had to be people brought in to reshoot certain things because they didn't work because nobody'd ever really done a fight scene quite like this before. And the director initially. Wanted to shoot it as it was as if it was like a fight scene in the round. Um, so he wanted to lay okay. dolly track and shoot the scene sort of all around uh, to see what was happening, but that wasn't possible um, mainly because Daredevil doesn't really uh, doesn't really do that. Um, and we've only done it once. We, we did a little bit of movement of the camera with Father Lantham, and we had done mm-hmm. a little bit of, of a move, the movement of a camera in a couple of other places, but not. They just didn't want it to be something about these sweeping, you know, sort of tr- you know, tracking shots where you, you know they, they, that's not the feel that they wanted of the show. And so what ended up happening is he wanted to do that anyway, so he just would put the camera down and shoot a shot and then move the camera. And so we actually, at the end of the day, one day, I think it was that, the particular, the first day that we shot some of the, uh, most of the fight scene, most of the, you know, what we needed to get um, up close and stuff, he moved the camera 300 times. So he had actually done 300 shots. (laughs) And when the editors got our list, they were like, oh, my God. (laughs) These are editors that have been on shows for 10, 15 years, and they were like, I've never, you know, seen this this kind of thing come in with this many shots. But we did a number of days that were pretty close to that. We did a day that was – 170 some shots and then another day that was close to 200 but that but because it was such an epic um mm-hmm. fight uh, it just ended up being really complicated shooting so yeah i mean it was absolutely fantastic the the fight scene at the end of episode two you know the hallway scene gets talked about a lot but i think that one is is up there with it i i just think the the fight choreography in the show, as I said to to Crystal earlier, is some of the best I've seen on television. Well, I mean, he told you we we had the the fight uh, folks from uh, Winter Soldier, and mm-hmm. they were just unbelievable, and also just willing to try anything. Um, mm-hmm. they, they were so remarkable. I mean, you know, jumping into water, uh, clearly being set on fire. <laughs> <laughs> it was just remarkable to and and you know the this in episode two that that was incredibly difficult to shoot as well, mm-hmm. especially for the people who were in the middle of doing it um you know who were in had to do all that fight coordination um and they were just completely game. It was really amazing, and they added so much to the story because everything that they did.
it showed exactly what we wanted to happen with Daredevil, which is, you know, that, mm-hmm. that this was stuff that really affected him as a character, that he wasn't uh, Captain America, um, mm-hmm. you know, that, that he, he wasn't impervious, you know, that he, um, that he was a street fighter, you know, that he was a guy mm-hmm. who was, who was at a completely different level. And so it, we just felt like it added so much uh, to the character and to the show. We spoke earlier when we were recording our episode that um, it's one of the things I love in, in this episode, that comparing to the, the Daredevil movie, the uh, 2004, I think it was, I where at the end of that you have Daredevil goes off and fights Elektra, and then Bullseye, and then Kingpin in short succession, and somehow survives that, which I never understood, <laughs> and seems fine at the end, and um, can stand, and you know isn't bleeding to death. And um, I, I love the fact that the way the show, this show has been written is that this is a character who bleeds and has to recover and gets out of breath, and so it makes sense that when Fisk enters after after um, Matt has finished fighting Nobu, who almost killed him, I mean, he could have killed him, um, that he's not going to be able to beat Kingpin. Um, and I love that. I love that he basically has to run, you know, right. because it makes the character so much more relatable, and it's one of the reasons that he is my favourite character. He doesn't have healing factor or anything right. like that, you know, um, to, to sort of get through these. Um, one of the other things I wanted to ask about, actually, is we're talking about this fight scene with, you know, with Nobu and everything, is that in in this episode, Nobu is very keen on getting hold of a particular city block in Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> and in the first episode, um, in the montage at the end, we see Nobu and his associates are looking at a map of of Hell's Kitchen, but overlaid over a different map, which seemingly shows other structures under the city. Is that anything you can talk about, or is that kind of spoilery? Yes, <laughs> uh, obviously, Nobu had some plans for, <laughs> for Hell's Kitchen, and, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see if those ever come to fruition. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I figured that would be the case. <laughs> yeah. I was very interested, like, oh, something going on there. Yeah. Yes, yeah, well, there, there definitely is. <laughs> <laughs> um, but and I will tell you that it's funny because um, we we had a lot of people who were like you know I, I like the show was like they weren't quite sure how far we were going to go uh, with things mm-hmm. and then and then they said and then in, in your episode it was like full on ninja <laughs> you know and we were we were I mean I will tell you though. Standing there looking at those plans, mm-hmm. that, that those things were supposed to follow. So we knew from the beginning, um, you know, where we were going with that, um, and and uh, that um, comes out of that. We're just not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> um, I understand. Don't worry. Working for Marvel is like working for the CIA. You know, it's like, I mean, yeah. it's like, oh, no, can't talk about that. Yeah, but, yeah, I told Chris, I said, sometimes I feel like somebody's going to, you know, sneak up behind me and, and off me for saying something, you know, that I wasn't exactly supposed to say uh, from the Marvel universe. <laughs> I imagine they just have shield agents. Outside right. <laughs> <laughs> so 
the one of the questions I had, because um, which I'm always interested in, is were there any characters or scenes that you particularly enjoyed writing in this episode for sort of both of you? Because we discussed earlier that obviously you weren't as familiar with Daredevil as a character as as Christos was right. being a fan of comics. So were there any characters that, that either of you particularly enjoyed writing or found particularly challenging or scenes that you particularly enjoyed or found challenging? Um, it's really interesting for me because, uh, first of all, I loved Ayelet. Um I love Vanessa. Mm-hmm. I thought that she was um, f- pretty phenomenal. I mean, especially with that role because you have to have a character. You have to someone who is willing to walk a very interesting line, uh, and, she, yeah. and she absolutely was. Um, and the character was written that way, but, you know, sometimes you don't know if you're going to have someone who's like, ooh, I'm not going to do that. And she was just terrific in um, in where she went with that character. Uh, and um, so I really, really did like her. And then I, I was actually sadly disappointed that I did not get to write more of Ben Urich because, mm-hmm. <laughs> because we had a lot of informational stuff that had to happen with um, – with him in our in our show, but nothing. You know, Chris's father was an investigative journalist, mm-hmm. um, and so we had done we had done a lot of research. We're hoping someday maybe to write something about him. Um, and so I loved that character as well, and um, I just wish that I could have written, you know, something a little more substantive. He was terrific. Yeah. He was terrific to work with too. He was so phenomenal. Uh, he's but, he's amazing as Ben. He's 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 he just nails Ben Urich and I, I think he does a phenomenal job. Um, Bondy, I think he was great. Oh, he, was, like, he, he was just, he was just amazing. Probably my favorite, and probably my favorite, maybe of the show to write was really mm-hmm. Father Lantham. So mm-hmm. because everybody on my show, most of the people on the show were either atheist or sort of lapsed religious. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and I I don't consider I consider myself religious. I'm not like I don't go to church on Sunday, but I was raised um, in a church in a wonderful, open-minded, lovely church that everyone should have that experience if they ever go to church. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not Catholic, but um, but I, so I. I think I approached Father Lantham a little bit differently than so I think Stephen was kind of frightened of Father Lantham because he's an atheist. But he was he was not completely comfortable, and I think he really appreciated that I was comfortable um, with religious mm-hmm. things, um, and I was comfortable, you know, finding and quoting scripture, and I felt like that was really important for that character. It was really funny because initially Drew was kind of like, and. And Drew is the person who brought that character in and, and developed that character. But Drew, is, you know, was like the first person to say, he was like, you know, I'm doing this for my mother. <laughs> so, so I think I was really the only person in the room who was who felt comfortable as a writer, as a person, you know, about talking about Ben. I mean, I think we both really enjoyed writing Father Lantham because, uh, you know, for that reason, but also because we we knew that the actors were terrific and would be able to handle what what might be considered you know very mm-hmm. talky scenes, but that they would be able to make them very compelling. And uh, you know, I mean, Ruth mentioned before Stephen's an atheist, as he publicly states, but he knows good story and he was into it. And he said to us, "I'm going to protect these scenes. You know, we're probably going to get notes to cut them 
uh, you know, and suggest they're too long because by normal standards of a TV show, they are uh, too long and talky, but I think the actors will kill it and, and uh, you know, kill it in a good way, you know, do an amazing job and, and I want to protect them and keep them this long. And, and he did both in, uh, in, in the script stage and the, in the uh, production stage. Um, so we both really enjoyed that. And for me, uh, a character I found myself somewhat surprised to really enjoy writing was Wesley, even though we didn't write him <laughs> that much. But he just, he, he just, you know, he's always got his, his shit together and he just seems mildly exasperated by those around him. <laughs> yes. Not. Uh, and, uh, Toby Moore was such a nice guy and, and did such a great job with that role that, you know, sometimes you, you, you start writing something and a character you didn't expect to have fun writing jumps out as like, uh, you know, this character does not have a huge role in this episode, but I'm having a lot of fun writing him when he's in there. So that was fun. Yeah, I, I, he's, there's some moments in this episode where he's so hilarious, even though yeah. he's not saying anything like when um, Fisk is on the television talking about the death of Mrs. Cardenas and Wesley's just in the background and he just looks so sad. And it's just like he's always yeah. putting on this this, um, this sort of appearance. But I, he's, he's hilarious, Wesley. I think, I think Toby does a great job as well and is really like one of the standout um, characters in the yeah. show. I love this, the parts where Nobu came in angry and <laughs> translated for him. Yes. And because there's one point where we had actually written uh, the line that Nobu says in Japanese is, this place smells like a poorhouse toilet. And he translated <laughs> it as, he doesn't care for the accommodation. Yeah. Uh, but, but the way he played it was, Nobu says his line in Japanese, and this look of distaste comes over Toby's face. Like, how crude, you know? And it, <laughs> it's just so funny. I, I, I loved watching him do that. Yeah. He, he was just. Absolutely awesome to work with too. Um, of course, that almost every per person on this show. Yeah, there's not like, a single yeah, person on it that I, yeah, that didn't really. So, so professional and really, really. Um, well, actually, committed. I'm glad you said that because it reminds me. You were talking. We were talking about Vondi before. I was covering episode 11, as I said, and there's a scene where. Um, Karen is walking down the street, talking on a cell phone to Ben, who is in his office, mm-hmm. and uh, the. Karen's side of the conversation was shot on a different day from uh, Ben's side of the conversation, but in both cases, the actor who was not in the scene showed up on set to give their performance on the other side of that phone call. So they were standing off camera talking on the phone because it's, you know, as an actor, it's better to have someone to act opposite rather than just, like, pretending you're hearing the response. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they did that to support each other, and because they're so, you know, they're they're so devoted to to what they're doing. So I think that that exemplified how people, you know, the actors were all um, very dedicated to it. And and, uh, Rob Morgan, who plays Turk, who wasn't in our episode, but we loved him, he was also in episode 11. You know, there was a scene where he's running down an alley and he's supposed to fall down. And, you know, Phil was like, okay, so Rob, run. And then pretend like you're going to start to fall, but don't actually fall. We don't want you to get hurt. Rob would just throw himself onto the ground <laughs> headlong. I'm surprised he didn't break his neck. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry, I forgot. I forgot. I was just so into it. Yeah. Rob's hilarious. I speak to him quite a bit on Twitter, and he just seems like such a funny guy. Um, and hopefully we're going to chat to him uh, when we've uh, covered all 13 episodes, um, but I'm, no, which I'm good. really looking forward to talking to him. And I you love talk to, to Peter Shikota as well, and and, yeah. Uh, yeah. and Tommy Walker. They will both be. Uh, they're they're both very uh, excited. Tommy's you know, hopefully coming on for episode 13. I think. Um, oh great! 
uh, we, because we've, I've joked with him about certain things that happen in episode 13, which I can't speak about because people right. listening haven't seen all 13 episodes. But, um, and then Peter hopefully will be coming on in a, in maybe next week. I need to talk to him about it. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to chat to him. We've already, um, uh, we talked to, um, John Patrick Hayden, who played Jack Murdoch. And, good. um, he, uh, he was, fantastic in those first two episodes and yeah he was a really cool guy and had some very interesting thoughts on the character of Jack Murdoch um, which was great um, but yeah hopefully we'll be chatting to them as well I've only got a couple more questions if that's okay yeah and I'm sure this one you won't be able to answer but I'm going to ask it anyway <laughs> so <laughs> can you tell us um, if you will be involved in the writing of Daredevil season two or if you've been involved in the writing of aka Jessica Jones uh, we can't say. I mean, we definitely haven't been involved with Jessica Jones. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, they were being done at the exact mm-hmm. same time, more or less. I mean, a little bit later. Uh, we can't say anything about season two in any in any respect. It's all very hush hush. Well, I hope I hope you are. I hope that we get an announcement just before it comes out that you guys worked on it because um, you know, as I've said, I think your work on the series on this episode was was absolutely fantastic, and I hope to see more in the show. Thank, Thank very you. Much. <laughs> Um, can you tell us any about any projects that you're currently working on? You mentioned that you've got a graphic novel coming out in August. Um, what else oh, are you working on at the moment? Do you want me to? Yeah. Well, we have a graphic novel. Uh, well, okay, I'll do the, the quick part first. I write Buffy the Vampire Slayer for the comics mm-hmm. every month, um, so you can find that. Now, there's some of the collected editions have already come out, and uh, the first two volumes uh, made the New York Times bestseller list, so that was very exciting. Um, That's excellent. And I also periodically write Spider-Man stuff. Um, but this, uh, I believe in August, we have a original graphic novel coming out uh, from Oni Press called The Line of Aurora, which mm-hmm. is a historical epic, sort of in the vein of Braveheart, and it is the it is based on the true story of Ruth's uh, ancestors, people called the Wombensians. And I'll, I'll, I want you to tell it because I'm going to get it wrong. <laughs> well, it was the first. It was the first time in um, European history that a group of people. It's actually con- you're you're in England, right? It's connected to England. Yeah, I'm in London. Uh, yeah. You're in London. It's connected to England. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're the English were our uh, saviors. Um, the first time <laughs> in in the history of Europe that a group of people rebelled against their rulers, so their their duke and their king, for purposes mm-hmm. of religious freedom. And they were a small group of Protestants uh, in the Alps between Italy and France and Switzerland. And um, when the king of France would decide that he didn't like a bunch of free thinkers on his border, <laughs> he would go to the church and say, declare them heretics, and then he would send French soldiers into the Alps to kill them. And this went on for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. And finally, they they had they were dirt where they had nothing. They they had no rights of citizenship, so they couldn't vote. They they weren't there was there was no participation uh, allowed. Their marriages were not considered valid. Their children were illegitimate in the eyes of the church of the state. And so um, this peasant farmer who could not even read um, decided that they had to stop them. You know the the soldiers from doing this, and it was right as the king. Um, 
really just made the decision that he was going to annihilate them, and he was mm-hmm. going to send 15,000 soldiers into the valleys, and they were just going to kill everyone in every village. And it's about how this man, who had no military skill and, you know, literally uh, no ability to read about anything, to study anything, how he rose up and led it started out with like five people and then seven people and and he would fight 300 soldiers 500 soldiers until basically he uh he took back his valleys and ran all the soldiers out and i mean it was so it was such a huge part of that time that milton wrote poetry about them and uh, uh um um oh god his name just went by on Oliver Cromwell. 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 I was like, God, I, like my history. I have been, I've literally been doing historical uh, research on this for 20 years, and now the names start to go out of my head. Uh, but Oliver Cromwell got involved, and um, I mean, it was just a, a phenomenal. Um, a phenomenal story, and and we want to do like a, a another graphic novel as to like after they took back their valleys, sort of what happened after that. So we're hoping to do kind of a follow up because it's, there's another sort of interesting um, story that happened during World War II, uh, and uh, but it's but it's really it's kind of a um, it's kind of have a nice story with the Brits because the Brits actually had to <laughs> <laughs> would be I would not be in existence today working on Daredevil if it were not for uh, for uh, the Brits, um, you know, finally uh, stepping up and saying, "Stop killing them." <laughs> it's nice the Brits get to be the goodies. The good they truly were in this case. Yeah, they truly, truly were. The, the, they were it, it was always a very small group of people, but they just kept getting progressively smaller. You know. And um, and now they're you know they have uh, so there's a town in North Carolina that's that was settled by Waldensians. There's a, a whole group of them in New York City, and so they're sort of all around the world now. So it's um, but it's it's a fascinating group because they are a very progressive church. So they have a woman who leads their church throughout wow. Europe. Uh, yeah. And and, they, and she has been there for a long time, and uh, they have had openly gay ministers for years. So mm-hmm. they are quite different from <laughs> from <laughs> yeah. those. Yeah. <laughs> so they're very oh, they're very awesome. open minded people. And what's what's the title of it again? It's called The Lion of Rora, and it's R O R A, and that's the name of the village. And he was. He was called. He became known throughout Europe as the Lion of Aurora. And um, uh, the, the fascinating thing is that Napoleon, uh, who wrote a number of books on on military strategy, called him the greatest military tactician of all time because he was wow. able to um, to hold off and fight back. You know, fifteen thousand soldiers with very few people, and they had no weapons either, by the way. So they had to they had to figure out because they were so poor, they couldn't afford guns mm-hmm. and things like that. So a lot of the stuff they did, they had to figure out how to win um, battles without weapons. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a really it's kind of like Braveheart actually, um, <laughs> in the feel of it. You know that it was this very small group of people, and they. Um, they were going against insurmountable odds. It's you know, it's I like it because all these women who have read it, so they get to the end of it and they cry. So I was like, <laughs> well, I wanted them to cry. <laughs> um, 
I will definitely <laughs> order a copy into my, my local comic book shop and then I'll let you know if I cry at the end. <laughs> I probably will. Anyway, but yeah, it's very it's very interesting because um it was a it was a fascinating history and I I knew that they were very significant because when I first went to college, I'm Walt Disney, so when I first went to college I um was sitting in my my comparative religious history class and I flipped over the book and it said the Waldenses. And I was like, wow, I didn't know David that. <laughs> and, and, you know, in, in the, the, the history of things. So they really were the first people who espoused the ideas that became the Protestant Reformation. And they sponsored the first translation of the Bible into the vernacular, which was which was French. Um, they're Italian now. They they became Italian after World War II, but uh, at the time it was French. So they did a lot of things that were historically significant. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, the ideas that they freedom of religion, the idea that everyone should be able to have freedom of religion and freedom of thought, um, that was something that. Uh, uh, inspired the French Revolution and then the American Revolution. Mm-hmm. So, so kind of started. For, for, they were the they were the first. <laughs> <laughs> I will I will definitely check that out. And uh, I know um, a, a friend of mine will as well who writes the Geek Syndicate. So hopefully she'll be able to to review it on Geek Syndicate for you, which would be really great. Cool. But it sounds yeah. definitely like something I'd want to read. And I, also my mum, because she loves um, that period of history, so I'll, okay. I think I'll buy it and lend it to her as well. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was totally, it's very interesting because I actually started, Chris and I started working on this and like, literally in graduate school 12, almost 20 years ago. I actually had been working on it before I came to graduate school. So, And I did a fellowship at a university because the, the actual historical information is very hard hard to find and the books and, and stuff are really hard to find mm-hmm. and so I would have to go into these library university libraries and photocopy, you know, books and um and then try to pull together a story from all that and and I loved it. I loved doing the research and I really I like I said, I really want to after just to see what the response is from people and then I really want to do sort of what I felt like was the next step and and uh and they still had no rights. So even though they stopped killing them, they finally agreed to stop killing them. They in nineteen in they were not legally recognized. They could vote, and most people don't realize that in the middle of Europe, <laughs> we had this whole group of people that were not really considered people, and they and they chose to become leaders of the resistance and um, to fight. Um, as leaders of the resistance in Italy, and and when the when the Marshall Plan was um, was done, and they in, they interviewed all these groups and they wrote stuff up about all the various resistance groups, they said they were the most valiant uh, resistance group in Italy because they believed that everyone should have freedom, you know, that everybody should should be able to to believe what they wanted to believe. So I sort of feel like that's going to be, you know, the next, <laughs> the next one. Um, but, I, but we'll have to see how this one is received. First. <laughs> well, I hope I hope it goes really well. I really do, and I'm looking forward to reading it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's it's very interesting because you know some people shy away from things because it's religious, but it's not. It's religious history, you know, and it mm-hmm. and it's very religious history, especially in Europe. Is so significant to mm-hmm. what became of of like our country. I mean, you know, our country um, 
pulled those those principles away from England, which were people should have freedom of religion and people, you know, and so so we were the ones that were taking the best of what you guys had to offer, <laughs> and, and that became and, and it's interesting because now in our country we've gone back to this fight where we're having the same sort of fight um, mm-hmm. about what you know about like how, where where how much can we have religion where it begins and where it ends and what does it really mean and that kind of stuff. So it's. Uh, so some people shy away from it because they're like, oh, it's religious, but it's um, it's fun. It's a fun book. The history of religion is is fascinating, anyway, and you know it, it is fascinating. It's well, it's it's all political. It was astonishing mm-hmm. to me when I was when I was researching all of this. Every time there was a king in France who felt not quite secure or maybe was feeling a little arrogant <laughs> and decided that, yeah, like these people, I can't control these people on my border, you know, so they're not in the church. They're not really citizens. I'm just going to kill them. Yeah. <laughs> that was, it was, so then they would go to the church and say, I have to have a reason to kill them. You have to say they're heretics. And so it's phenomenal how many times that same pattern repeats itself within all, all different kinds of religion. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's really phenomenal. You know, it's it, it it seems to go across all different types of religion and in all different situations. But it's almost always that's really the you know it's all about always about power. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> you'd probably be interested to know. Speaking about sort of arrogant kings, um, I live three miles away from Hampton Court Palace which was obviously Henry VIII. So speaking of uh, kings using their power to influence religion, yeah, that's that's just down the road from me. Wow, that is a – well, we're, we've been invited to come um, to a comic um, – show in Birmingham, in Birmingham. Oh, and we're cool. going to I'm, I'm so excited because we're going to I've been to I studied in England actually I studied mm-hmm. in Oxford for a semester and it was the most amazing time of my life but I'm so excited to get to come back and go tour everything with Chris and go see <laughs> everything so we'll have to go see that <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that will probably be MCM in Birmingham I imagine which um, is yeah, the, the big one they do called Ace or something like that oh I don't know that one then no, I go to a lot of the London ones, but I haven't been to the Birmingham ones. Um, but they do a lot of them that they do up in in Birmingham, but also they do a similar one in London. But um, right. hopefully some of the listeners will be going to that, so they'll be looking out for you. Um, but I actually, yeah. at, at our London one a couple of weeks ago, I met um, Gideon Emery, who played Anatoly in Daredevil, which was really cool. Uh, right. I came over for that, yeah, which was nice to see him. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we're we're excited because we're gonna we're gonna take some extra time and just spend some time in London and actually maybe maybe even go to Italy and um, Chris has been invited to give a TED talk in Athens. Mm-hmm. So um, you know we're gonna try to maybe try to do everything together and just stay in Europe for a while. <laughs> oh, that would be that would be amazing trip. Like you'll probably yeah. see more of Europe than I've seen of Europe. I've hardly seen any of that. <laughs> I've been well, to your country several times, but I've not, you know. But no, I, 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 no, isn't that isn't that true though? That's how it always is. It's like we—I swear to you—we we are going this year to Austin, and then in January to New Orleans, and we have never been to either place. And <laughs> here we're in this country. I've never been. I mean, we've been to Texas, like to pass through on a plane, but we've never actually been, you know, to to explore a city. And we've never been to New Orleans. How could you live in this country <laughs> and never go to New Orleans? <laughs> 
You will love New Orleans. The, the food is the best I've ever had. It's Yes, Amazing. I'm so excited. <laughs> you know, I mean, but it's, it's it's so ridiculous. I'm like, this is so crazy. We have to start to, and I probably have seen more of your, because I've traveled all around Europe twice, actually. So, um, so I, but but the hilarious part, part about it is, is I've never been to Italy, which is I'm Italian. Mm-hmm. So I, so this is my my uh, my goal is to uh, is to get to Italy. But uh, but yeah, no, it, it always happens that way. It's like you never see your neighbors and. You you fly around the world and see everything else. Yeah, that always seems to be the way. Um, so have you got any other projects coming up then? Like, um, obviously, with the, the graphic novel, I imagine your focus is going to be on on promoting that up until August. But what else do you sort of have on the horizon, um, apart from, obviously, um, Chris's ongoing work in um, in the comics that he's he's on? Well, a lot of the stuff, we do have stuff coming up, but a lot of stuff we're not allowed to talk about. Ah. <laughs> yeah, so it, so we do, and um, and you'll be the first to know when we're when we are allowed <laughs> to talk about it. Everybody in this business is so secretive about you know their contracts mm-hmm. and about you know what you they're so afraid you're going to reveal something that's going to get misinterpreted or you know picked up onto something else. So I wish we could talk about more of the stuff that we're doing. And this it's kind of funny because it just happened to be that we were that this graphic novel was coming out so at least we could tell people about that. <laughs> but most of the other stuff that we're doing we can't really talk about. Yeah, no, um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I feel like we're we're incredibly boring people. But this the you know Hollywood is like the uh, one big large non disclosure clause. Um <laughs> I have a lot of friends who who work in Hollywood, so I completely understand. Don't worry. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so funny, and, and of course, like when we were on Daredevil, we would all joke amongst each other, you know, that we could just disappear and no one would never know. <laughs> <laughs> Did they work on Daredevil? Did they not work on Daredevil? And the hilarious thing is, is we were all outed by the Writers Guild, who had a panel that nobody knew they were going to put up online, and um, and so finally um, they, they just they they just didn't ask Marvel, and they put it up online. And then of course for like the next month, people went nuts because it was like slightly before Daredevil was to mm-hmm. be released. And they were like, oh, my God. And so then everybody was analyzing who was, wor- you know, who was working on the show. We were like, oh, man, I am so sure that Marvel is furious at the writer's job. Because all of their publicity leading up to Daredevil just went out the window. So... Well, I, I, hopefully they'll probably do something different then for the run-up to season two, I imagine. They'll sort of have taken care of it, so yes. the same thing doesn't happen. Um, yes, well, it, I mean, that was what was so funny is, like, they knew we were doing the panel, but I just don't think that they thought they were going to put it up mm-hmm. on their website <laughs> until a little bit closer to the panel. But uh, but it was just it was just hilarious. The, the emails that were flying back and forth about that were quite amusing. Um <laughs> You know, and of course we at that point we had been doing it for over a year, um, and so we were we were actually kind of relieved. We were like, finally, um, we can talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it was a huge. I actually had Peter Shinkoda say that to me as well when I contacted him earlier in the year, and he said, "I can't talk about it at all until it comes out. Seriously, Marvel will kill me." I was like, "I yes. completely understand," and they obviously have to be secretive, and I'm I'm. I'm really happy, actually, with the the sort of lead up to Daredevil coming out because 
I was doing this podcast, I was keeping track of all the news and there was barely anything that leaked. It was amazing right. for a project that big that no big plot details at all leaked. There was a few set photos, but it was like, oh, at some point Matt's going to talk to a priest. Okay. <laughs> you know, it was nothing right. unexpected and it made watching it so in- much more enjoyable because everything Absolutely. was Absolutely. Well, that's what I was going to say. Especially in this new format, <laughs> if stuff gets out, you it's, it really is disappointing when you're watching it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so they're, they're particularly careful about these shows because it's just more fun if you're watching them and you don't know. You mm-hmm. know, you don't have spoilers and you don't have things that you're, that you know, you don't know what happens in episode nine or eight or whatever. You know, I mean, to me, like, if I'm going to watch this, as a matter of fact, we just had somebody say to us, she said, I was watching it and I loved it. And she said, and then I walked in on my roommate who was on 13 and I was like, damn, now I know what happened. <laughs> you know? And so it's, you know, it's really funny. And she said, I, she said, I realized, like, I, you know, she said, I said, I'm going to go, I said, I'm going to finish watching it. But she said, I said, well, but trust me, there will be some things that surprise you, yeah, you know, definitely. along the way. But, uh, but it's really funny because she said, that never occurred to me. But now I'm disappointed because I know what the ending is. So I know my co-host Robin, um, who is, you know, is only up to episode nine um, uh, because he's watching it week by week. And uh, he mentioned that when he watched um, episode nine, I think yesterday, he fell asleep afterwards. And then when he woke up, episode 10 was start was playing because obviously it's Netflix, so it plays automatically. And he was like, no, and like left for the remote to turn it off. <laughs> so I think no, he saw the start of episode 10. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> no, but it's so true. I mean, you know, and it is really interesting because even when you go back and watch old shows the new way, you know, when you when you get, like, the episodes of The Wire or Prime Suspect mm-hmm. or whatever, and you're, you know, and you're watching, um, you're watching them that way, you really realize you want to be able to watch them as you want to, as you've got the time to absorb the story and, you know, you, you want to have the time to do the, do it the way you want to do it. And so it's, it's really interesting because this has kind of created a whole new, mm-hmm. um, whole new way of, of viewing things. We love it actually because we have to work so much and there are so many times, um, that we just, don't have the opportunity to watch shows. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've got so many shows that we love that we haven't seen, like, a, the last year of the show. But they're 22 episodes, so that's like a commitment. Mm-hmm. When you sit down, you you have to be prepared to, to watch the whole season. And so, um, you know, so it, it's great for us because we at least we know, oh, we can still do this. You know, mm-hmm. we can still sit there. We can still watch Arrow. We were went to dinner with the showrunner of Arrow, and we were totally embarrassed because we'd seen six episodes of Arrow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're on season three, and we've got two and a half seasons on our, you know, on our DVR. So I was like, so what are, how are we going to explain to him that, uh, you know, we haven't seen his show? But then, of course, it's because we've been working for the past. Yeah. You know, it's it was a very it was a very challenging show to work on. So we worked a lot. We didn't have a, a lot of time to watch anything. Well, of course, as well now there's so many more 
options to watch television, you know, um, obviously just what airs every day, but when seasons are released at once on Netflix and, and things. And there's so, I mean, the quality of television in general now is incredible. The, it, the quality of writing, the actors that are, that are getting on board. So there's only so many shows you can watch. And I, I have the same thing. I, I, I don't get a chance to watch a lot of stuff because I, I um, you know, I work a lot of hours in the week and, um, Generally, I'm just I'm watching stuff to to podcast about. So I actually end up, you know, watching shows a lot where I binge watch them and watch the the whole lot in one go, um, right. which I really enjoy because I'm too impatient to wait for the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I am too. I mean, I you know, I, I, it's so funny because I Chris and I were just discussing this. My all time favorite show is Deadwood, mm-hmm. and I, I said to him, I remember being so anxious. And so angry that I could not see the next episode of Deadwood. So I would watch it and I would think about it for a week. And I said, <laughs> now I said it would be fascinating to, you know, to have that experience because I could never have waited for anything on that show. Mm-hmm. I would have, you know, I would have had to watch the entire season in like in two week, days over a weekend. That's what I would have done. <laughs> um, and, but, and to be honest with you, it was such a complicated show. I'm not sure that I would have really absorbed it in the same way I did. But I also love this new format because I can actually watch things and and be like, wow, that was just phenomenal. It's, it's much more like a movie experience. Mm-hmm. And that is something that Drew talked about from the very beginning with Devil, Daredevil, is that he wanted it to be – did I just call the show Devil? My God. Um, <laughs> I called my cat that. So, <laughs> sorry, that's where that came from. Um, but, but he wanted Daredevil to be like a movie experience. Mm-hmm. That he wanted it, you know, for people to get to the end and feel satisfied in the same way that they would if they saw a really good movie. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and so I felt, and, and, and he did, he structured it that way as well. So if you, if you sort of see when things happen in the show, it's sort of like act one, act yeah. two, act three. Yeah. I think it's very successful in that way as well. And, you know, I, I, I would like to say that I'm not at all smug that my favorite character has now the most mar- like screen time of any Marvel <laughs> character. <laughs> 13 hours and that I don't rub it into all my friends that you know like other characters but I do you know the fact that we've basically got a 13 hour Daredevil movie is just I'm the happiest fangirl that can be you know that's great that's great um, well, I guess we should we should wrap up because you've been absolutely more than generous with your time, particularly with the audio issues we've had, and um, particularly if you're not feeling well as as well, Ruth. Thank you so much. Um, well, it was really, it's, it was just really being exhausted from a week of I, what happens when you are on shows like this forever is that then once you finish and finish the publicity, you like every doctor's appointment that you have to have, and every, you know, and so it's just been that. That sort of time for us. So there are days when I am just so exhausted, um, and so I appreciate you letting me come in a little late. <laughs> no, it's, it's absolutely fine. I'm just glad you were, you know, you were feeling well enough to to be able to. And you know, like thank you so much. And I'm glad we um, we got to have you on as well because I am so excited about reading uh, the book now. And and you were telling me all about it. I was like, oh, I need to read this. So thank you so much. <laughs> Um, so I, I guess if it's just if there's anything else you guys want to add or say about that you've got coming up or where people can follow you on social media if you wanted to mention that. 
Um, I'm on Twitter at Christos Gage, all one word. Awesome. Yeah, and uh, and I I am I'm basically not. Um, <laughs> I have a Facebook I have a Facebook page, but the privacy settings are so high that people can't find me. Um, I'm one of these like reclusive people who, um, uh, uh, you know, honest to God, until this year when this show came out, the only people on my Facebook page I had known since I was in kindergarten. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but if you can find me, <laughs> it's a challenge. Um, you're welcome to friend me. Uh, it's just most people can't find me. She's like the AP. I am. It's so funny because I. This is the first time I've ever done stuff like this. Like we did a little bit of publicity when we worked um, on Law and Order SVU. Mm-hmm. But I, Chris, is much more. I mean, that's much more sort of his thing, and I'm. I am much um, more the person who is. Uh, you know, I, I find the stories and do the research and, you know, that kind of stuff. So this is new for me and it's, it's been a, it's been a lot of fun actually. Um, but, uh, I, I am not a social media butterfly. <laughs> That's good. Once you, once you get sucked into social media, it's, it's a terrifying world. Well, I, I spend way too much time on Facebook the way it is. Like, you know, I mean, it's, I, I mean, like, just, I, it's so funny. I go and I, I will start checking on, you know, like one friend and then like 16 different things happen to 16 different friends. And then I realize I've been on there for like two hours. I'm like, I'm never going to get any work done, you know, if I, if I am, uh, Responding to everybody's, you know, oh look, so look, your child is going to his eighth grade graduation. <laughs> I limit my Which time I on love. Facebook to, to just browse to my commute to and from work, and if I do that, then it's okay because I I get public transport. So if I limit it oh, to right. that, then I don't spend hours and hours on it. Uh, no, I tell you, you get totally sucked into it, and then you realize, oh my god, I have this deadline, and I have to get this done, and I've just spent two hours. Like I said, you know, looking at eighth grade graduation <laughs> pictures of someone else's kid, you know, like so. Not even, you know, not even in my immediate family. So uh, at least you don't go on YouTube though and get sucked into two hours of watching cat videos, which I've done before. No. Well, I, I I have done that too. No, I grew up in politics, so my the the big thing that sucks in my time is when someone says something that upsets me. Mm-hmm. Chris said he can always tell when he comes into the room and I'm typing furiously, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that I'm responding to some, you know, to some political person. And he's like, you've got to stop doing that. You're, you know, this, you're exhausting yourself doing this. But, uh, but anyway, so, so I do, I, I've got to, I've got to limit that. But if, if people could find me, um, it's just under my name on Facebook. <laughs> now, now I'll probably get stalkers. <laughs> That's what the plug button's for, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people find me on Facebook because I have a, uh, an unusual um, surname, so I'm used to, like, going, nope, nope, nope. 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 Well, the funny thing is, is that I, there were so many requests because I guess people started to find me through Chris when the show came out. And at first I was really skeptical. I was like, oh, I don't know. Because people had, I mean, they were, they were names from characters. So, um, you know, I mean, there was actually a guy named Matt Murdock. Mm -hmm. It turned out his name was Matt Murdock. But I thought, you know, is this guy 
named himself Matt Murdock. <laughs> 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 like, I guess he's probably a good guy, but I don't know. And then he turns out to be the nicest person. <laughs> so, you know, I've met like a lot of people that way once I've I've I usually go look at their pages to see if they're crazy. And then know. if they're if they're normal people then I will I will uh, accept them. But it's funny because I've never I've just never had people that I don't know very well. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> Well, you'll get a lot more of that, I think, with, you know, with how big a hit Daredevil has been, you know, and how popular your episode was. You'll probably have a lot more people yes. seeking you out, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been fun, though. They've been very sweet and very, um, it's not, it's really nice to feel like you worked on something so hard mm-hmm. for so long and that people like it. You know, it's, um, it, I mean, it's it's very rewarding because there were times in the room when I think all of us were just ready to give up mm-hmm. <laughs> because, you know, we were trying to, to make it, we wanted to make it so that people felt like they got a really good story mm-hmm. with this character. And, um, and you know, it's, he's, he's not a, He's not an easy character to do that with, as as you know from the Daredevil movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you kind of, I mean, I just didn't love that movie. You know, you sort mm-hmm. of got to me. I liked Ben Affleck a lot, but I, I just felt like, you know, that something better could have been done with mm-hmm. that character. I agree. I, I find it more of a frustrating movie than a bad movie. Yeah. Like, I find it very frustrating yeah. to watch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like and 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 it was funny to me because like even the legal stuff, like even like in the opening scene, which is supposed to establish, you know, that his powers and his and his you know, what he does as a lawyer, it's just like frustrating. I was like this is just not working mm. the way it should be. Where you know, it was so. I said to Chris, I was like, you know, I like you want to have the conversation with um, the writers and be like, you know, what what was it that just didn't work about that about this movie? Because I actually really liked Ben Affleck, but mm-hmm. I just, I, you know, I just felt like um, it, you know, but something about it just didn't quite work and uh, we we didn't want to get to the end of this after spending a year on it and have fans feel that way mm-hmm. you know have have people say well <laughs> this didn't quite work um after spending you know 13 hours watching it so uh so we're we're very glad that people <laughs> that people like it <laughs> well i think it's it's the number four show still on imdb so top rated show it is it's an it's the number four show on IMDb, and it's the most, I think it's the number one show on Netflix. It's like mm-hmm. the most pirated show in Netflix history. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, which is, you know, I know that sounds, that's kind of a double-edged sword there, yeah. but, but they like it because it's an indicator of how much people like it. Yeah. Um, and how much they're watching it. And it actually, at one point, beat Game of Thrones. I don't yeah. know if it still has or not, but I was like, wow, I can't believe that. <laughs> that was phenomenal. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's it's still, I think it's still going. Yeah. Um, yeah, and hopefully it will just get, I mean, the fact that there's going to be a season two is so exciting, and we're going to see it, obviously, before... Uh, the Defenders, because a lot of people were worried that, you know, we wouldn't see Daredevil again until the Defenders series. But the fact that 
the the freedom for Netflix and Marvel to go, oh no, we're going to do a second season and you know and see how things do, and they they seem to be quite flexible with that is very exciting, and particularly the possibilities that brings up for the the rest of the series. I I just can't wait, and we're going to be um, on the podcast. We're going to be covering all of them, um, which um, I'm really looking forward to talking about Jessica Jones next because she's another favourite character of mine. Um, well, Melissa is was terrific. Mm-hmm. I mean, she, she, um, you know, we didn't work with them very uh, closely because we were going into production, so mm-hmm. we were going back and forth from New York. Um, but she was always terrific to deal with, and she's so smart, and her scripts were really good. So I, I think I, I, we haven't seen, um, you know, any of the dailies or or anything that they cut together. But I'm hoping that. That it continues along that, you know, that how it started, and that the the scripts are really good, and mm-hmm. and she's really good. So I I'm excited for that show. It it seems like it's just going to be a good show. That will be that will be interesting because you'll be watching it kind of as fans, you know, going, oh, what's going to happen next? You know, okay. really cool. well, I swear, <laughs> I, we felt so sorry for her because. She, you know, she was like, what you know, as to what information they would give her, what information they would give us. I mean, it was, you know, there were sometimes we were like, guys, we are working together, but they're, but they so don't want to reveal anything about the overall mm-hmm. uh, stuff to anybody. <laughs> so sometimes she would just come in the office and say, I have to ask you a question. <laughs> uh, because they had, you know, they had to figure out how to write something around something. So, you know, it was, um, uh, it was, it was interesting, but she was, she's really terrific. Excellent. Okay. Well, we, we look forward to, to seeing that as well. And hopefully seeing, um, you guys in Daredevil season two. I know you can't say anything, <laughs> but we'll have our fingers crossed. Um, and thank you so much again. You've been uh, so super generous with your time and your patience with the issues we've had with Skype. And it was an absolute pleasure talking to you both. Um, and well, thank you. Thank you, you so much. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for the, well, the episode and the show. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening. You can comment and send feedback to us by emailing defenderspod at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash defenderspodcast or on Twitter at defenderspod. Defenders Podcast is created under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 Unported International License. That means you can share it, you can send it to your friends, you just can't make any money off of it. You can't change it, and you have to link back to us and our site. Excelsior!